Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, where we will read um, our story as Christians. Why don't you stand with me, and let's read this together, the first 20 verses of Luke chapter 2. In those days, uh, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Now, this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Father, open the text to us now, a very familiar text to so many of us, and show us what we need to see. And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. All right, get comfortable. I just think it's so important for Christ followers every year at Christmas time just to read this story. Uh, when we pause long enough to read the story, it recenters us and helps us remember what this holiday is all about. That Christ has come. The Savior of the world is here on planet Earth, and we will prepare him room. So it was the year 1719 when Isaac Watts wrote Joy to the World with the phrase, Let every heart prepare him room. Make intentional space in your heart for Jesus during this season. And Christmas is a wonderful season, but it can be overwhelming and distracting. And if we're not intentional, even Christians can forget to prepare room for Jesus in their Christmas. And how exactly do you do that? Well, you do what we just did. You read the story, and you remind yourself of what the story's about. And not just at church, but you take time in your home between now and Christmas to read Luke chapter 1 and 2 together, to read Matthew chapter 1 and 2 together, and and to, to sit and talk about the wonder of the Christian story and what a Christian Christmas can be. So what else do you do to prepare him room? 
Well, one of the things you can do is what my wife does. She, uh, she prepares a Christmas uh, playlist. And, and Brenda's playlist doesn't have a lot of secular songs on it because there's so many good Christian Christmas songs that she says, well, you know, uh, we're gonna play these songs until we get tired of them and then maybe Santa will get run over by a reindeer or grandma or somebody. But the bottom line is we wanna sing about Jesus and think about Jesus and have our, our home filled with music about the real Christmas. Another thing you could do is you could spend some energy uh, investing in some people that are less fortunate than you and getting your family to do that as well. Or you could even ask your family to stop buying you things you don't need and stop standing in line or, or, or making their Fridays black on your behalf and just say, listen, uh, you could donate to one of these causes that I donate to and do it in my name and we'll call it Christmas because I don't need another sweater and there's a lot of people out there that really need what we could offer them. All right, so what we do is we prepare Christ's room at Christmas, and that's what we're doing during this five weeks that we've been talking about this. So today's story, what town are we in in Scripture? Bethlehem, uh, where no one had prepared room for Jesus. They didn't know he was coming. Uh, But thanks to an edict from none other than Caesar Augustus, Joseph and Mary have to travel in the final month of her pregnancy. Uh, The census required them to return to the hometown of their their ancestral origins. And for Mary and Joseph, this meant traveling 100 miles south uh, from Nazareth to Bethlehem because they were direct descendants of the most famous king of Israel, King David, who was born and raised in Bethlehem, a small village with a proud history. Going all the way back to the book of Genesis, where Jacob's beautiful wife, Rachel, tragically died on the day that she was bearing her second son, Benjamin. And her grieving husband buried her near Bethlehem. Later, the same town is where Ruth met Boaz, and they fell in love and, uh, and had children, and then their children had children, and then their great-grandson was David, who became the king of Israel. 300 years after King David, there's a prophet named Micah who called out Bethlehem saying this, Bethlehem, though you are small, I thought it might be up here, there it is, though you are small, out of you will come the one who will be ruler over Israel. His origins are of old, from ancient times. This new ruler will be born in Bethlehem, but really his origins are way more ancient than that. Now, scholars back then were divided over what this means, that his origins were more ancient than that. Uh, They weren't looking for the Messiah to also be the eternal God uh, in the flesh. But this is what we believe that Micah is saying here. And his prophecy continues. Israel will feel abandoned until the time when she who is in labor gives birth. And it's, it's true. At the time of Christ's birth, Israel did feel abandoned by God. The Old Testament prophecies they had been accustomed to had stopped, and God had been silent for 400 years. And no doubt his people wondered, you know, what happened, and, 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 and why isn't he talking to us? What they didn't know is that this baby, born in Bethlehem, was going to change all of that. God is going to start speaking to them again through Jesus. And Micah describes the Lord Jesus. This one, Micah says, will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. His greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, 
and he will be their peace. He will do more than talk about peace. He will actually be the peace. He won't just bring good news. He will be good news. However, he arrives in a most unusual and unexpected way. Mary and Joseph slipped into town only to find Bethlehem packed to the gills with other descendants of David who had also come to register in the census. And there was just no suitable space available for this expectant young mother. Now, Middle Eastern hospitality is famous, and, and so it would, it would have been very difficult for these people to turn Mary and Joseph away. Uh, the, you, even to this day, Middle, Middle Eastern hospitality, you, you welcome guests, you make room for them, no matter who they are. But there was absolutely no room left. Except, well, most homes had a, a shed or what we would call an attached garage. But of course, there's no vehicles. Their vehicle was a donkey. And uh, their attached uh, shed, or, or we might call it a small barn, is where you brought the animals in at night. Maybe you had a, a donkey. Maybe you had a cow. Maybe you had goats. Whatever you had, you brought them in at night because, uh, well, if, if you didn't protect them at nighttime, they may not be there uh, in the morning. So uh, it seems that someone had no doubt been feeling bad about turning this couple away. So they said, listen, um, our garage is actually warmer than you might think, and you're welcome to it if you can't find anything else. And we really don't know any of the details about where they stayed uh, uh, during that time in Bethlehem, except that this one word, Luke tells us that the baby was placed in a manger. And a manger is a trough for feeding livestock. And then that's where all of the, 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 the tradition around Jesus being born in a stable comes. It's just from this one word, uh, manger. And uh, uh, so it is quite possible that Mary and Joseph were sharing this space with uh, a few um, animals uh, during the time that they were in Bethlehem. Well, the manger continues to, it, it communicates something to us about our God. Uh, a stable is an unlike, unlikely birthing room, and a manger is a most unlikely cradle. Uh, but this is a most unusual God, because our God is humble. Now, bear with me on this thought. We don't usually think of God as being humble, uh, mainly because we don't understand humility. We, we often see it as a weakness instead of such a powerful strength. God can't be humble, we think, because he is powerful. He's, he's, he's even scary. He, he's maybe even distant. But now, see, with the Jesus story, the Father is revealing things about himself that we didn't know. Jesus had come, has come to expand our understanding of God and come to find out, based on the way that he chose to come to earth, God is approachable and God is humble. Which leads us to the shepherds who were in the Bethlehem fields that night. All right, so I don't know how it was for you, but in the church I grew up in, the kids always put on a Christmas pageant. And we wore bathrobes and towels on our heads because apparently this is how shepherds dressed. And so when Cornerstone celebrated our first Christmas in our living room back in 1992, all the families gathered and our kids put on uh, this Christmas play 
uh, down at the end of the living room. And on the other side of this was about 60 or 70 adults with video cameras taking pictures of, this is Pastor Andrew here, and this is Kevin, and this is, this is Tyler, and all of the friends that were there that are now about 25 years older, but probably still dress up like this during uh, Christmas time. We had angels and lambs and shepherds and Mary looking so, uh, where's Mary? I don't even know. Was she in the story that year? Maybe, I don't know. But uh, Luke tells us that there were shepherds. And so let's think about those shepherds and those angels. The shepherds were camping in the fields when Christ was born. And this gives us a clue as to what season it was when Christ was born. Because shepherds don't normally uh, camp out except one time of the year. Uh, and now, uh, the, the, things being the way they are, it's not exactly the same. But back then, the babies were born in October. Now here, uh, babies are born in the spring. So it can be kind of confusing to us. But, but there, spring is when the dry season is going to hit. And there's not going to be any food. And so God, uh, in, his, in his greatness, had, had uh, lambs being born in the fall, probably around October. So because the shepherds were in the fields, we think the birth of Christ was probably sometime in October. Well, why don't we celebrate in October? Well, because in 325, uh, the church decided we were going to celebrate it on December 25th. And why was that? Well, there was this other holiday that the church wanted to replace that was a pagan holiday. And the church said, let's have our, let's have our Christ's Mass, which is Christmas, during this season instead of having this other pagan holiday. The people need a good holiday during the, the, the darkest nights of the year, the longest nights of the year, the coldest nights of the year. Human beings have always needed a holiday around uh, December, and we're no different. December's a great time for a holiday, but we, so we put lights outside of our homes, and we light candles inside of our homes in order to celebrate the arrival of the light of the world. All right, back to the shepherds who were in the fields on those October nights because it was lambing season. This is when the shepherds would spend the night in the fields because the helpless newborns and their tired mama sheep were vulnerable to the wolves and the wildcats that would be looking for an easy meal. Lambing season uh, meant long hours for the shepherds, but it's also a happy time because their wealth was increasing. Uh, because when your herd increases, your, so does your wealth. And October lambs would provide uh, lambs for the spring for Passover, and the best of the lambs would bring the highest prices in Jerusalem at the temple, just a few miles away. It's a powerful thought, really, that the first witnesses to the birth of Christ, who John the Baptist is going to call the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, the first witnesses were Bethlehem's shepherds who were in the fields bringing in the Passover lambs that would later be sacrificed for the sins of Israel. Hey, let's look at verse 9 again. Um, there was something I wanted to point out here. Uh, verse 9, an angel of the Lord appears to the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shines around them, and then and, and they're, they're terrified. But the angel says, hey, don't be afraid of me. I'm bringing you good news, which will be great joy for all the people, because today in, in the town of David, Bethlehem, a Savior is born who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find the baby uh, wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Uh, so the angel says, hey, look, 
And you know what's sad? In, in the newer translation of the Bible, that word behold isn't there anymore. You know, they, they, they translate it into more modern English, and they say, since we don't say behold to each other, at least I don't say behold, uh, they cut that out. And yet behold is such a beautiful world, because the angel said, behold, and in the King James, published 400 years ago, the angel says, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings, great joy. And the word behold, it means, hey, pay attention to what I'm saying. Hey, look at this. Uh, look at what I'm telling you. Uh, stop looking at me and being afraid of me. Look towards Bethlehem, and I'm going to send you there because the Messiah has been born unto you. Unto you, shepherds. Go into town and, and search the barns and look in every manger until you find a mom and a dad and a baby lying there, and that's him, Savior of the world. All right, so then it says, well, before they could gather their things, if you look, look there, it says, uh, a heavenly host appeared. Do you see it? Do you see that word? Do you or not? You see it? It says, and suddenly there was a, a company, a heavenly host, it says. And this is an interesting word for our author Luke to choose because uh, in his day, a host was only one thing. It was, it's a military word. Uh, it's, it means a squadron or a battalion. It means a group of soldiers, of course, I grew up thinking this was a heavenly choir that was singing. But in, in reality, Luke tells us right here, it was, it was, a, it was a division of fighters. It was, it was angelic fighters that were filling the heavens, and, 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 and they were celebrating. And so what was an angelic army doing there that night? Well, the Bible doesn't say, so we just have to assume and, uh, uh, that there were soldiers there because... The, 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 the little baby, uh, the, the lamb of God, uh, either needed to be protected as he made his entrance at planet Earth or that it actually a cosmic battle uh, had just been won. I mean, we know that the Earth had long been enemy-occupied territory, but now the Christ child had been snuck in right under Satan's nose. And maybe because he was a newborn, Jesus was more vulnerable. We really don't know why there would be army angels, uh, but maybe just like the newborn lambs in the field were being protected by the shepherds from the predators just at the edges of darkness, waiting for the opportunity to pounce. Uh, if the dark forces that always oppose God's plan could have prevented Christ's birth that night, they certainly would have, but they miserably failed, and the angel army was celebrating, and the ancient story of redemption, which begins all the way back in Genesis chapter three, has now opened a new chapter. A huge milestone has been reached, and the angels are chanting about it. Glory to God in the highest heavens, they say, and peace on earth among men whom his favor rests. Peace on earth, peace between God and man is going to be restored through the Son of God coming. Mankind had been at war with God and with his purposes, but now God had sent himself. God has sent his own Son to make peace with us and give us the favor and the blessing that God wants to give us. And he does it starting with these shepherds, these humble shepherds in this field. Now, in order to fully appreciate what I just said, you have to know something very important. In those days, shepherds were near the bottom of the social pecking order. Uh, it was not among the most highly respected 
trade. Uh, Luke's original readers would have been absolutely floored to learn that it was shepherds who were first to hear the good news. It was shepherds who were first to see and even possibly hold in their arms the Christ child. And it was shepherds who then went out and were first to announce the news to everyone. I mean, the shepherds got to hear angels announcing it. Everyone else had to hear shepherds announce it. And shepherds were known to lack social graces. Uh, and for that matter, they smelled like, like sheep. Uh, and their shoes tracked in. Yeah, you got it. From the field. Word was you couldn't trust a shepherd. Uh, you might wake up one morning to find that while you slept, they had moved their sheep into your fields and their sheep were munching on your corn and uh, you had to drive them away. Shepherds were known to embellish the truth. There were laws on the books back then prohibiting shepherds from testifying in court. So think about this. If you were God and the Messiah you had promised for centuries is finally here, who would you tell first? Who would you choose to be the ones that would go out and tell everyone else? Well, maybe you'd inform the Bible scholars in Jerusalem. These were the guys who were familiar with all the prophecies, and they could say, well, was he born in Bethlehem? Yes, he was. Well, what, yeah, this possibly is the, the, the long-awaited Messiah. Or maybe you'd say, no, let's not go to them. Let's go up to to Nazareth. Maybe you, you would tell the city of Nazareth first so that then they could come out and announce, okay, we were wrong about Mary. Apparently, it is the truth. She did tell the truth. Well, I don't know who you would choose to break the story, but I'll tell you who would not choose. You would not choose shepherds. Nobody back then would have thought that this made any sense at all to make this huge announcement to shepherds and to trust them to effectively and accurately get the word out to people who would even believe what they were saying at all. And Luke says they did go out and spread the word. Imagine if uh, you were related to some of these shepherds and every time the family gathered, you had to hear the story again. Yeah, yeah, we were out in the field. We were out in the field with the sheep, and we were just having baby after baby. We were working. We were out there just working, and suddenly we look up, and there's this shiny guy talking. It was an angel. I was scared out of my mind. And the angel said, don't be afraid of me. I've got great news, and you're going to go to Bethlehem. He gave us all these instructions, and we're like, wait, slow down. And then all of a sudden, Whoa, the skies would fill with heavenly hosts. These army angels there chanting, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, good will to men. I was scared out of my mind. And then poof, they disappeared. <laughs> and then we said, let's go. And then we went to Bethlehem and we searched barn to barn, barn to barn, until finally there he was laying in a manger with Mary and Joseph just standing there. And we just came, may we come in, ma'am? And she said, come right in. And we came in, and you know what? He's the savior of the world. And then we went out and told everybody, like I'm telling you. <laughs> now that'd be exciting, but would you believe them? Why shepherds? Why does God do it this way? Why not have the angels appear to a more respectable trustworthy, well-connected group. Well, there's people that can hear my voice that know God very well, and you know that this is his style. 
He's known for doing this sort of thing, to trust unlikely people to accomplish big things. Thousand years before the birth of Christ, there was another shepherd in these Bethlehem fields. His name was David. He was just a boy. And the prophet Samuel had been told by God to go to Bethlehem, to a specific home, to Jesse's home. And at Jesse's home, the, 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 uh, the, there was going to be one of Jesse's sons and have them all. And, and God was going to tell Samuel once he got to the house, that's the next king of Israel. Anoint him as the king of Israel. So Samuel went to Bethlehem. Samuel found Jesse's home. Samuel was entertained by Jesse. And Jesse was thrilled to hear that one of his sons was going to be anointed the next king of Israel. So he brought his sons one at a time before Samuel. They got to the final son, and Samuel had rejected all of them and said, don't, don't you have another son? And Jesse said, well, yeah, I do, but it's just David. I mean, he's just, he's not, he's not going to be the next king of Israel. The only thing he's good for is watching my sheep. He doesn't do a very good job at that. Yeah. Samuel just looked at Jesse and said, well, call him in. I want to I see him. I'll wait. So they had to go find David wherever he was in those Bethlehem hills and find him and bring him in. And as he walked into the house, the prophet looked and the spirit of God spoke to the prophet and said, that's the next king of Israel. And to the amazement of David's brothers and sisters and even his own father who didn't believe in him, God anointed, or Samuel anointed him because God saw things in David that, that only God could see. God chose the person that others have rejected. And it's the same thing that whatever it was that God saw in these shepherds. I, I think it's so cool that the people God chose that night were not highly educated or well respected. Because for me, this makes the Christmas story even more special. Because the messenger becomes a part of the message. Whom God uses to communicate gospel is part of gospel. Because it says, if God chooses them, if God trusts that person with his message, then there is hope for me. He includes shepherds in the story to say to us, I want to include you in the story. Unto you a Savior has been born, Christ the Lord. And you know what? You're not only included in the salvation, you're actually being recruited as the preachers of this great Christmas message, this unbelievably wonderful, miraculous story that God came to earth to save sinners. And when God takes sinners and uses them as his emissaries, the world can rejoice because now the world can see it's not just a select few that are gonna make it. It's anyone who will receive God's grace. Anyone who will believe that God can, can save them. All right, let's, let's bring that home. Let's make sure we bring that home. Because I know for a fact that there are people listening to my voice that would tell you they are unqualified and unready to be out there talking about Jesus. They definitely don't feel ready and they definitely don't feel worthy. And I'm here to tell you, if you are that person, this is why you are listening to this message. 
because Jesus is going to make you worthy and you will immediately be ready to tell other people about him. You don't have to wait for years and years of discipleship and memorizing scripture. All you have to do is start telling people your story of how you were going along and you were in your shepherd's field of whatever that means and you were and then, and then the Lord, his story intersected with, with your story, and your life was changed after that. A changed life is absolutely the best way to preach the gospel. And if you don't feel qualified, just listen to the Apostle Paul. Brothers and sisters, he said to the Corinthian church, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. The messengers needing grace are part of the message of grace. We've been selected to tell his story, not because we're so well-connected or talented. No, quite the opposite. God saves us because he loves to save flawed people who will then go and find other flawed people. You know who shepherds go find? Other shepherds. You know who you're supposed to go find? Just other bucketheads just like you. You know? And I'm not speaking to the Saturday night crowd at Livermore. I'm talking about the, the people that sleep in on Sunday mornings. <laughs> God wants to save flawed people so that when then people, can, people who know us, people who are in our family who are watching us, people who are li- our neighbors and they hear us in our backyard cussing at our kids. And then, but then they go, yeah, but... That person is not a holier-than-thou Christian. They're, that's a cornerstone Christian. That person is humble. They're just, they actually are need, they know they need to be saved. And you know what? Now they're trying to get us to go to their church, and they want us to be saved as well. And you know what? Honestly, when people see us change, it gives them great hope. Hmm. One more thought. And that always means what? 15 more minutes max. All right. (laughs) One more thought. God's plan to save the world did not have him sending a message about salvation. God showed up as salvation. And this is what we celebrate at Christmas. That Jesus showed up. That God showed up. Not just bringing salvation. He is salvation not just bringing gospel he is gospel our good news is not a set of beliefs or life hacks or some good advice that god provided us in order to be better citizens no jesus didn't come bringing good advice he came bringing salvation to sinners and christmas gets that rolling it's the most powerful thought that at christmas god's gift to us was himself One of the reasons we wrap up gifts is to remind ourselves that God wrapped up himself and gave himself to us as a gift. Our good news, our gift at Christmas is God himself who came to planet Earth to set things right between God and man. 
Later, the great apostle Paul will say it like this. Uh, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Our message of Christmas is God and sinners reconciled. Say those beautiful words with me. God and sinners reconciled. God and sinners reconciled. People ask you, well, how's your Christmas? Well, how do you think my Christmas is? Do you know what my Christmas is? I don't know, what's your Christmas? God and sinners reconciled. What? Yeah. Jesus came. Do you know the story of Jesus came? Well, I don't know. Oh, man, I just was asking you how your Christmas was. Okay, well, I didn't want to preach at you. I said, no, you got me curious now. What are you talking about? Well, that peace on earth thing, that's, that's peace between God and man. When you get, finally get, make peace with God, everything else falls into place for you. Now, without Jesus in your life, even Christmas can be the darkest of holidays. You can become overcome with despair at Christmas, especially at Christmas. Without Jesus, the holidays, the holidays can be very dark, but it doesn't have to be that way. Jesus came to bring us peace. Jesus came to bring peace to you, but also peace to your neighbors, peace to your coworkers, peace to your family members. Hey, listen, bring those people to church on Christmas Eve. Our Christmas Eve services are two weeks away. A normal attendance on a weekend at Cornerstone is somewhere north of 6,000 people on our five campuses. On Christmas Eve, that doubles. 10 to 12,000 people will join us on Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve is the time when most people will accept your invitation to go to church. Uh, but you gotta invite them. A lot of people won't come without an invitation. And you gotta imagine it. You gotta picture, visualize your neighbor walking in here with you and sitting with you in church. That's gonna be weird for some of you, your neighbor sitting with you in church. Because it's just hard to imagine. Well, why don't you pray about it and invite them? I mean, what's the worst thing that could happen? They could say, oh, no, no, and kick the dirt, and, you know, it could be awkward for 30 seconds or so until they figure out how to, you know, get rid of you. But you, you might be surprised who will come with you to church on Christmas Eve if you just invite them. And then imagine them coming and joining this group of people, a group of people unlike what people, what they thought it was going to be like to hang out with Christians. And then for them to hear a story in a church service, it's unlike any church service they've ever been at. And for them to go, and then for us at that service to invite them to come back. And just come back. Just, just come anytime. You're welcome for Cornerstone to be church. Imagine them eventually believing our good news. Imagine yourself baptizing your coworker at Cornerstone. It could happen this year. It could start with you inviting them to church for Christmas. I'm asking God to give you opportunities over the next two weeks where he just knocks you upside the head and says, here's your opportunity. Invite them to church that you, you both came out into the driveway at the same time, you're standing there looking at each other. You say, hey, do you have a minute? Are you, do you guys have plans on Christmas? Do you guys normally go to church? Oh, no. We'd love to invite you guys to go with us. And I'm gonna pray that God makes you bold and not afraid to invite people to your church. Why would you be afraid of that? All right, let me pray for you now. Father, I pray that you strengthen all of us and give us the courage 
<laughs> to do something as simple as invite people to church. There are huge barriers between us and invisible fences between us and other people. And I believe that our enemy has set those fences up to keep people away from God. Father, we pray that we would break those fences down and that we would think, who am I going to invite to my church on Christmas Eve? Father, we are all so proud of our church. We love our church so much. Help us to love our friends so much that we would want them to be a part of this thing. And help us to, to pray and then believe that it could happen. And more than them just attending our church, we want them to meet you, the Savior of the world, born on Christmas Day. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Bless you.